Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 53 of the Fitness Business Growth Podcast. I'm here with Andrew Gustin, eight-figure marketer, one of the biggest online fitness companies in the world. Mate, how are you? Good, thank you. I'm very happy to be here with you today. Thank you, sir. Now, how can you live up to that expectation? One of the best fitness marketers on planet Earth, eight-figure company, the 4% Club, X amount of sales, click funnels award. You've done it all, mate. Yeah, I, I really, it makes me a bit uncomfortable when you say it because it's not something that I truly believe about myself. Um, and, you know, by all means, I only really think that you're as good a marketer as the current set of ads that you're running. Uh, I think that, you know, you're always able to learn off somebody. I know that we've been having our conversations and we've really connected recently and I'm learning a shit ton from you. So Mate, that, yeah. That's the biggest thing I got from our dinner the other night is when I asked you, I said, like, why are you such a great fitness marketer? And you said, I don't think I'm a good fitness marketer. Mm. And the answer to every question you have is test, 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 test. And you just never know. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's it. You know, I can say, you know, when you're talking about being a marketer, I'm not so much a marketer as I am someone who understands numbers and, you know, it is testing. It's like figuring out what works best and it's just a very specific way of breaking things down and thinking. So, you know, if I were to talk to you about what my actual skill set is, it's actually being able to analyze data rather than being a marketer. Mm. Well, mate, I gave you the biggest plug in the world, but I want to start from the origin story because it wasn't yeah. all sunshine and rainbows. And I think a really powerful story to share would be how old you are, what age you started the 4% Club, it's never too late, and where you started originally in a fitness business, mate. So tell me, how did you get started in the fitness industry? Yes, yeah, so I'm 37 now. And I started, um, like, you know, many, in um, as a personal trainer. Um, I did my six-week course and thought I knew everything in the world. I went out, got myself a job at a vision personal training and uh, worked my ass off 50 hours a week, uh, waking up 5 a.m. in the morning, um, going to sleep at 10 p.m. at night. And, uh, yeah, it was tough. And how long were you a PT for? And how long did it take you to go from starting at Vision to being fully booked, but even discovering that when you're fully booked, when you are making good money, it's probably not the life you signed up for? Yeah, well, I mean, working for someone's never been my jam. Um, I have always been a business owner at heart. And, you know, from Vision, I moved on and eventually found myself into a big box gym um, at a fitness first. And when I was at a fitness first, that was the first time that I really started running my own business. So we're talking going back about uh, 11 years now. So just and to clarify, AJ, sorry, jump in. So at Vision, were you giving a split of their revenue? Were they feeding you leads? Were you on a salary? What was your arrangement at Vision compared to what you started with at Fitness First? $24 an hour um, was what <laughs> I started on. So, you know, they, um, it was very much, it wasn't even a salary. I think they had me on like a casual rate, $24 an hour. So if I didn't work, if I was sick, I still, I didn't get paid. And the $24 an hour, were you on the gym floor or was that fulfilling a PT session? Fulfilling a PT session. So, yeah. you know, by the, by the end of the um, week, I was earning a uh, whopping $1,000 roughly on average, I'd say. And living in Sydney, $1,000 doesn't go very far. No, it doesn't. Not at all. So that story, you're at Vision, unhappy, took the risk went to fitness first and started something new. How long was that period of time when you were unhappy to the time that you pulled the trigger 
to I want to be a business owner. I want to do my thing. What was that time frame, and was that decision easy for you, or was it challenging? Look, that vision. I, I mean, I when I got into this training, I recently lost weight myself, so I was so passionate about helping people. I just wanted to give people the transformation that I'd gone through. Um, however, vision really killed that for me because you know the long hours and the repet- the repetition, not being able to create your own workouts, having to follow their nutrition programs, all that sort of stuff, and you know. The reason that I actually got into uh, business um, was because it's an interesting story, actually. But you know, I used to be a professional gambler, as we talked before, about before. But I lost a shit ton of money, and I found myself, you know, um, completely broke. And I was really lucky, and I'm really grateful that my parents were able to help me out because pretty much I was going really well in gambling. I quit my job in vision uh, poker, so you know, there's a certain yeah. element of. Um, I lost all this money and all of a sudden I had nothing. And I'm like, gee, uh, what am I going to do? Need to make money. Went into uh, fitness first. And, you know, from there, I did really well from the get-go because I started to realize that I was earning a shit ton of money for every client that I brought on. So for me, I was just extremely, extremely highly motivated by the fact that, hey, every single time I bring on somebody, I earn an extra 100 bucks an hour. So the idea that you could write your own paycheck as opposed to being assigned your worth X amount per hour at Vision. Yes, that's right. So, you know, for me, I'm very, very financially driven. And as soon as I saw the dollar signs there, it's like, what do I have to do to make more money? Because, you know, I'm the sort of person I was willing to do anything, whatever it took. You know, I was the person walking around the gym floor, talking to everybody, asking them to do sessions, you know, figuring out whatever I had to do to make it. So in in regards to what fitness first were you at? Uh, DY. DY. So I'm I was at Chatswood for about three months as a sales manager. We almost would have crossed paths. When you were at DY and you were on the floor as a PT, at that point in time, what year was that? Just to give some context. Um, I started there in 2013. 2013. And then how long were you in chat? Uh, how long were you in DY for? Sorry. And then talk to me about how you built your PT database up outside of the gym giving you leads from new members joining? Because that's what most PTs rely on, right? They want to be hand-fed these leads. What did you do to grow that PT business and what did that end up getting to? So I started off in at Fitness First in 2013 um, and I worked through till 2017 before the online fitness business. What I, the way that I built the business, I kind of realized that the people who were getting all the leads internally from the gym were generally the friends of the salespeople, the friends of the uh, managers within the business. So, you know, I really had to go out and do this for myself. And I found myself, as I said before, walking around the gym floor, standing at reception, handing out free flyers, doing whatever I had to do. But then, you know, I went down the path and I learned how to market and I learned how to run Facebook ads. And I realized that that was an extremely cost-effective way of doing all these things and not having to, you know, be the guy that walks around and annoys everybody. So I just want to step in there, mate. So you're at the gym, DY, you realize the sales team, the GM were giving leads to their friends. It's a fucking great lesson. Life isn't fair and you could have pissed and moaned about it, but you figured it out. And that is what being an entrepreneur is all about, figuring it out. Exactly. You know, the way I look at entrepreneurism um, business is you're just, you know, there's a series of problems in front of you and you've just got to figure out the most effective way to solve them. So you were doing more guerrilla marketing before Facebook ads at reception, handing out flyers, literally like, hi, my name's Andrew. I'll offer you a free session, X, Y, Z. 
Facebook ads 2013 would have been a wild time. So I was in Facebook ads in 2015. So talk to me about the first ad that you ever set up. Was it in Ad Manager? Did you click Boost Post? Because things have changed. I'm trying to think what the first actually was. You know, I worked with a guy called Travis Jones. And, you know, a lot of a lot of people around that time will know exactly who he is. He was the biggest guy. And I uh, talked pretty much the world how to run uh, Facebook ads. And it was very much just a... 28-day challenge ad with a giant big red border, people working out, um, landing page, submit details, then I would just give everyone a call whose phone number I'd want. So in many ways, it's not too dissimilar to the way that we do things now, but I wasn't very good at ads back then. So, you know, even then I was still paying, you know, it was a large, you know, it wasn't really until the online business that I really started improving dramatically, but it was still paying probably about 30 bucks um, per booking, but 30 bucks is nothing more you know easily profitable so the idea would be is you learn ads from travis jones anyone that don't know there's a quote in alex amosi's book dedicated to travis jones make someone an offer so good they feel stupid saying no so your offer was a 28-day transformation now today every single gym in australia runs that ad including the 60 i work for but at the time that would have been absolutely revolutionary People would have been, what the fuck is this? 28 days to lose. You could also edit the copy after you posted the ad so you could lose, lose 10 kilos in 28 days. You could write whatever you wanted to do it. There was no, there was no review process. No, there was ba- there's barely any review process. And, you know, if I knew, know what I know now to take that back, I'm sure I would have been paying like a dollar a pop. Like that's the scary, that's the scary thing about it. But yeah. for that amount of money, it's probably like the funny thing is it's probably not too dissimilar to the way that things are done, you know, in your business now. It's actually very similar. Um, you know, I'd get them in, get their phone number. I would call them. The only difference was that I didn't know how to close on the phone. So I brought them into the gym and from in the gym, then I sold them into a $350 program um, for four weeks. And then I upsold them after they finished. And 350, 28 days, was that one session a week? Was it two sessions a week? How did you, how did you work out what your, what your offer was, your Grand Slam offer was? So for me, I've always been more so about the programming side of things than anything else. So it's all about you know, the nutrition, the mindset. So I gave them a full course. Um, I gave them all the nutrition and I saw them for one session a week. And the one session a week was, I think it was a 45-minute session each week. So even back then, you understood that like, hey, if I can build this program, and they can follow without me being there. I'm not trading my time for dollars. How long did it take you to work that out? Because some PTs are still in that that mindset where like, hey, people are paying me for that my one hour of time. And that's how they end up getting trapped. So like, at what point did you realize that like, hey, like I'm getting all these bookings. I have unlimited 28-day challenges. I'm going to run into a problem here if I'm doing the sessions. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think it kind of came quite instinctively it was just you know or whether it was that i'd read a book on it i mean i just went straight away i'm just like well how can i you know bring on as many clients as i possibly can so it was the combination of okay leveraging my time it was the combination of bringing on staff pts that worked for me and man i can't actually i can't give you an exact period of time where it actually just came to me i just remember that that was me that was the only way to do things Hmm. It's the mindset around like, well, hey, like I want to make as much money as possible, have a large impact. I cannot do it myself. I need to find out a better way to deliver my product. And trainers today, 10 years later, still think they're selling their time. And as we both know, you are actually selling the outcome. You are selling the results. You know what it was? 
it's that I wanted to get my clients results. And there was a very early realization that you can't get your clients results by doing a 45 minute gym session. And, you know, a, you know, a 45 minute gym session, a hundred bucks, you're not actually, you know, people do that and they do it for fun. They enjoy it. And if they've got money, that's cool. But someone who like actually wants to lose weight requires more than just a gym session. They actually need the nutrition. They actually need the mindset. They actually need the accountability. So all I did was just to develop a system that got clients results as opposed to um, being a circus trainer and having fun on the gym floor. So fast forward four years, right before you went online, you were still a PT at DY. Did you have PTs working under you? Were you selling people into other PTs or were you just, did you just optimize your program to the point where it was less and less of your time and more systemized? Yeah. So I brought on, I, at one stage I had three PTs working for me and you know, I think that one of the things about business is, you know, why I'm at where I'm at right now is because I've made every single mistake in the book. Um, and, you know, I look back to those early times and I sucked at marketing, I sucked at hiring, I sucked at managing. And, you know, my strategy was just to pick off the trainers who were already in the gym who weren't going very well. But the problem is they weren't going well for a reason. So, you know, I would, I would bring them on and I remember vividly, um, standing um, behind one of my trainers, just watching and seeing what the session looks like. And she's taking a selfie of herself um, with a client rowing in the background. And I'm just like, what are you doing? <laughs> and it was, you know, for all the people that I was bringing in, because I had unlimited leads, I could do whatever I wanted. I had as many people come through, but there was this huge leak, you know, there's a bucket with a big hole in it and everything was leaking because as many clients as I'd bring in, they were all leaving just as fast. And then as your business progressed to that point, right before you launched, launched your first online business, did you ever consider opening a gym, learning from Travis Jones, knowing what he did with RBT? Was that ever an aspiration of yours? Yeah, it's, it certainly was. I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't completely sold on opening a gym. Um, and rather, I was so, so close to making this happen. But there was a room inside of the fitness first. And, you know, what I thought was, what if I just turn that into like a weight loss center? Because at the moment in the gym, I was competing with all these personal trainers. And I actually really, you know, funnily enough, I didn't actually enjoy the training side of things too much. What I enjoyed help, helping was helping people get results. So, you know, in another lifetime, I probably would have gone down the route of creating weight loss, you know, you know, doing weight loss consults, whether that was online or not. But, you know, it was going to be in the physical location in the gym because of the high degree of traffic. And I was effectively just going to be known as the guy who helped people get the results, you know, write the program, send them out to trainers, whatever that was. So, mm. yeah, that was kind of my line of thinking. So 2013, 2017, from the day you ran your first ad up until four years later, where would you say your ability of running ads, 10 being where you are today and one being when you first pushed Boost Post, where, you, where were you in 2017 before you went online? 2017, I was garbage. Like the way that I've always learned everything was I literally would just copy someone, hire someone, um, I'd see what they're doing and I'd always improve. You know, the thing is at that stage, you only have to be better than average. So, you know, I was just better than average. But like to continue on, you've always got to be pushing the limit. You've always got to get better. So every single year I've gotten better. And there was such a long period of time where like, you know, you can be up the top, you can be Alex Formosi and absolutely be smashing. But I think like for a long period of time, 
I'd always just get to the point where they work, where I'd get a five to one return on investment. And that was enough. Mm. So, you know, it's a very hard question to answer because I just think that like, you know, I sucked at ads comparatively till now, but I'd figured out what I needed to do to get a five to one, a six to one, which would make me money. And then, you know, in saying that I had unlimited leads at the time. So, you know, at the time I was above average, but if I were to take those skills to now, I'd get absolutely slaughtered. <laughs> so 2017, there weren't that many online coaches. So what sparked your interest? Did you have a friend that was online? Did you have more mentoring? And what was that decision for you to say, hey, I've got this successful PT business, but I want to go online. And what was that process like? Yeah. I think that, you know, as I've kind of discussed, I've kind of tried to move away from always being a trainer. I started at the start. I never actually really wanted to be trained. I wanted to help people lose weight. And um, a big part of my story is that I have hypothyroidism. Now, because I had hypothyroidism, I ended up with so many clients coming to me with the same disease. So I ended up helping them. And I just kind of found that, you know, I was really passionate about that. Who isn't passionate about helping people overcome the same thing? 100%. And I thought, well, what if I start up a business where, you know, I help people who have hypothyroidism? The problem is that the marketplace inside a small area like the Northern Beaches isn't big enough. And I thought, well, this has really got to go Australia-wide. I had the weight loss consultations and stuff in my mind. I'm like, why don't I take this go take this online? And when I, you know, pretty, pretty much um, there weren't that many. You know, it was just growing at that time. But it also, you know, there was huge opportunity there because when I launched the hyperthyroid business at the time, there was no one else doing that, absolutely no one. And I remember just talking about it being a blue ocean. Did you know what the word niche was at that point? Did you know that you discovered it? Yes, yes, I understood, like, you know, what niche was. And I think that I owe a lot of this to, like, you know, what I, the work that I did with Travis at the time. Um, you know, he made that all very clear. And I was working with him when I came, with, you know, developed all of these ideas. The, and, and, you know, it was all the same thing. It's like, well, if I run an ad for the gym in a really competitive space, how easy is it going to be to run an ad online to women who have thyroid problems where there's absolutely zero competition. And that was the, that was the idea. I'm trying to expand on that. So in local gyms, right, typically the audience is about 50,000 people. So we mm. have to rotate the audiences constantly because they, you fatigue them so quickly. And your mm. idea would be that if you are only helping people with hypothyroidism in your local area, effectively you'd fatigue the audience, run out of people to help, ad costs would go up to the point where you just could not attract those people. And then you start getting people that you don't want to work with. And that is the perfect idea of like niching down, finding your avatar and working with that perfect client. So mate, when did AP come into the fold? So I, I remember, I remember we were sitting down outside my pool, sitting in the sun, just having a chat. And I'm like, Hey, I think I'm going to quit being at fitness first and I'm going to go online and I'm going to travel. So it was actually traveling that really motivated me to, you know, take the next step. And, you know, we've been best friends, you know, from, you know, since we we're like 15 years old. And I said, oh, well, do you want to do this with me and go traveling next year? And like at that time, I was like, all I need to actually do is have one, you know, 10 clients at a hundred bucks each. That was it. thousand bucks. I was going to go off to Southeast Asia, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam. I was going to live a great life. A thousand bucks a week, I'd be saving $500 a week, you know? Digital nomad. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's where all of this came. And then I just I just said, you know, he's always been the technician. 
he's very, very good at, you know, he loved his science, very good at that side of things. So, you know, it came down, he was going to be the technician and, you know, actually teach people the process of losing weight through the science. And I was going to be the storyteller. So I told my story about hypothyroidism he, and he combined with that. And I just said, let's turn on an ad. And the first ad we turned on just struck absolute fire. So I think we were getting people, we, our, our funnel back then was all we did was add straight to a Facebook group for, to help people for a seven day challenge with yep. um, women who had hypothyroidism. And I think we were getting people in that Facebook group for sub 30 cents. <laughs> Fucking hell, 30 cents. And I, I remember sitting in the gym uh, in like the common room and I'm looking at my phone and I'm just seeing the amount of people requested to join this Facebook group. And I'm like getting like 10, like every 10 minutes, like a person a minute. And I'm just yeah. like, whoa. And then that's, I realized at that point in time, holy shit, I've only got to sell 10 people. And I just had 10 people join my group in the last 10 minutes. And Wild. I got, you know, it's that moment of having tingles up and down my spine going, hey, this is actually going to work. Yeah, I'm onto something here. Like this isn't, happens two places, in your mind, in reality, and it's happening in reality. But that's the entrepreneurial side again, right? Because you had the idea, it started to work, you had to acknowledge it, and then you had to run with it. So these women join the Facebook group, they do a seven-day challenge. What was the conversion mechanism on the back end? What were you selling them after the Facebook group? So we uh, started off with a great program. It was 12 weeks, 50 bucks a week. It 600 was, uh, bucks. $600 for 12 weeks. So I know that's far cry from the 1000 that I initially said, but you know we were selling um, 600 And it, it, it was really simple. Like we didn't have you know any tools. It was just like they did the seven-day challenge. And at the end of the seven-day challenge, it was kind of like, hey, did you enjoy the program? Um, yeah, do you want to keep going? Okay, cool. And we'd was it? in and just sell them. And with an offer that's so cheap and easy, it was just simple. We were, I think like in our first program, we would have sold, I think it was about 12 people. So yeah, we made what, $7,200. And we were absolutely laughing because $7,200 in a week is, was insane money back then. Unbelievable. And then you could always almost divide that by a hundred. That's like doing 72 one-on-one, one-hour PT sessions. Exactly. Exactly. So seven-day group, 12 people joined the first week. You make $7,200 in your first week. At what point did you realize, okay, like I'm going to double, triple, quadruple down. I need to hire a team. At what point did you start to think bigger as opposed to maybe I can earn more than a thousand dollars a week living in Cambodia? Um, well, we just decided that we would run these challenges fortnightly. So in the second week, we're just like, well, that was so easy. Let's charge, let's put the price up to $60 a week. Um, and you know, it became a fortnightly schedule and I left the gym. I was so confident that I left the gym after four weeks and just kind of left my PT business and was like, boom, I'm all in, I'm done. Um, and it was probably about the sixth week that we hired our first staff member. Um, of course, we went to friends and family. So we, our first three hires all came within three months. So it was Andrew's mum, Andrew's friend, and one of Andrew's clients. Um, okay. So just back to being an entrepreneur, we'll talk about poker at the end, I promise. Yeah. You were four weeks in, you had a successful PT business, it was a guaranteed thing. At this point, you went online, you had people join a Facebook group, you made some sales. But at that point, it's still not a sure thing. 
So it still took some courage to take that next step. So did you get the courage from like, I can see a future here where I'm earning a lot more money or did you enjoy that work more or were you just sick of the PT or was it just a combination of, of everything? I think after the second cycle, there was no turning back. You know, um, there was no way that this wasn't working. And I just had that really, really strong feeling and everything that I was doing in the gym was getting in, in the way. So it was a very... It was a very easy decision for me because I just backed myself to follow through and do it. It wasn't. And where do you, yeah. where do you, where do you think that comes from? Like it's an easy decision for you when we both know people that they would agonize over that for months and months and months. Paralysis, by analysis, they don't move forward. I mean, I've always had an extremely high um, risk tolerance. And, you know, it's always kind of like, what's the worst case scenario? And I kind of mentioned it before, but there was a, um, you know, a night where I lost every single cent to my name, you know, uh, poker, um, gambling. And, you know, that was rock bottom. There's also another period of time where I had chronic fatigue and I was out of work um, for six months. And, you know, this seemed like a very, very small gamble in comparison. And, you know, all I can imagine is the reward. And the reward was, you know, so in front of me and being away and traveling the next year wasn't aligned with working in the gym. And mm. I also think that it was also reversible that, you know, if it didn't work out, I'd just go back to the gym. But at the moment I just kind of left it. I had trainers in place, so they kind of kept on going, but I just lost complete interest and let them do their own thing. And we all know they've taken their selfies everywhere. So the business just started sharply declining. One of my favorite quotes is a Jeff Bezos one. It's a Lex Friedman podcast recently. He speaks about two-way doors and one-way doors. And your decision to pursue online was a two-way door because you could have went back. Mm. When I left the 4% Club to do FBC, that was a two-way decision. I'd hope that you would have taken me back. Yeah. Right? And I think people just stress out so much over a two-way decision thinking it's one way. There is no way back. It's this or bust when there's always a way back. And just what is that worst case scenario? And the worst case scenario is it doesn't work. But the worst case scenario for people like me and you is like, well, fuck if I don't try it, like what could it have been? And that's the shit that keeps me up at night. That's it. The, 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 you know, the worst case, the, the worst case, the worst case scenario was actually not doing all in. The worst case scenario was doing what I was doing because it wasn't aligned with going away and traveling. You know, I just knew that, you know, I had to figure it out. And if I didn't, I'd feel miserable and feel like a, a failure. And that was the way. I just made my decision very, very quick. And that's one thing about me. I just make snap decisions very fast. I just don't think I, you know, give it a go. Obviously, things change as you get a big business that's bigger and bigger. But at that time, you know, there's, there's very, there was very little consequence for taking that course of action. The business grows. You hire three people. At what point... So you're still running the Facebook group funnel. At what point did you hear about click funnels? At what point did you go from 12 weeks to, to 22 weeks to 26 weeks to changing brands? Like tell, talk to me about the next couple of years as you went from 30 cent leads into a Facebook group to having a multi-million dollar online fitness business. Okay. So we were so excited. We were just making all of this money and, you know, True to what, true to my word, there I was. We get to January and I was out of there. Myself, Andrew, and his wife, Hannah, 
we started traveling the world. We were through Southeast Asia. And, you know, we thought that we were making a fuck ton of money. Um, we were looking at our debits and every single week, somewhere between eight to $10,000 hitting our account. We really didn't understand business at that point in time. Um, you know, we're sure we were enjoying and enjoying ourselves traveling the world. But, you know, I remember talking to our accountant and um, he kind of got in front and goes, you guys have no cash left. And we were just like, what? And he goes, yeah, you owe the government like 20 something thousand dollars. And we were that naive to business at that point in time that we didn't even realize that we had to pay taxes. <laughs> I mean, we knew we had to, but we just didn't, like, it just didn't compute. So here we are traveling the world, living the life, $10,000, but we just moved too fast, right? We were just like, well, how do we leverage our time? How do we give ourselves more free time? So hiring three yeah. people like within the first three months is just crazy. I just um, want to step in there, right? Because the right answer may have been, well, slow down, call your accountant, set up a company, do all the tax stuff, pay, pay as you go, pay your GST. But if you did all that, you wouldn't be able to run as fast. And I'm just like, let's fucking break shit first. <laughs> like, let, let, let's, let's figure it out later on. Did I? <laughs> but yeah, what, what's the quote? It's something like, um, yeah, fix shit and uh, make it break. I can't remember exactly what it is. Yeah. But yeah. I think for me, mate, I'm very much in acquisition. And it's just like, if the marketing and sales is working, it almost solves every problem. <laughs> You know, I, I leave a trail of destruction everywhere I go. Um, you know, I need very consistent people around me to make sure that things are being done and done, you know, you know, on time. But it's just like, okay, well, how high can I turn up the marketing? How many leads can I push through? You know, how many salespeople can we have? How many staff can we have? And then, you know, I kind of like leave the program to other people, left the program to other people, to, for other people to manage. But, you know, the issue with doing that is that, you know, things change, like Facebook gets more expensive, your ads begin to fatigue, you need to make changes. And all of those changes, like all of them was just starting to build up because you can't, we kind of had that sense of like overconfidence. So as fast as we moved, it also resulted in us, you know, pretty much just like with all this leakage and all of these mistakes that we were making that we realized that we had to fix up. And I mean, that's the story of our of business. Like, you know, for most business owners, it's kind of like you do something, you go too fast, you make a mistake, but that method is far, far more effective than just being overly cautious and going slow. Because as soon as you go super, super slow, you never, ever get anywhere. But yeah, it's, a it's a classic case of the trainer building out their 16 week program, getting mm -hmm. PT distinction, making it perfect before selling one of them. Yeah. Well, we, create, we did, create the first week. We did the opposite, right? So, you know, we sold people into our 12 week program and we didn't have a 12 week program. Um, we literally made the program week to week as we went while our clients were going through them. And when your back's against the wall, you figure it out. Yeah. Like if they expect a program week two, you're going to get that done. It's not, there's nothing like a gun to the head where, you know, it's just like if you don't do something, you're going to let somebody down. And I think I've always done my best work, you know, in that situation. And, you know, the sick part of me really enjoys it as well. You know, at different times of the year, the business has been extremely profitable. Well, that, um, you know, other periods it hasn't been as profitable. And so you're in Southeast Asia with AP and Henna. You're balling. 10000 the debits. You get the call from the accountant. You owe $20,000. Just trying to work out the time frame here. What time period was that? 
Um, we're talking 2018. So we're talking, this is, this is probably nine months into the business. Okay. And at what point did you fix those things that you've broken? At mm. what point did you turn over your first million dollars and get that, that ClickFunnels award? Okay. So we, the end of the end of 2018, we kind of cut our trip early. So we came back early with our tails between our legs, realizing, <laughs> oh shit, um, traveling, you know, just wasn't viable. We weren't at home with our staff and we needed to be around to give them a whole bunch more training. Um, and, you know, we kind of realized the opportunity that was in front of us. And it's like, if we don't go home now, the opportunity to turn this into something gigantic and incredible is going to, you know, disappear. So we effectively just went in and as soon as we were home, it made a huge impact because I was literally with all the staff. Now everyone was running, and now given everyone was running around with their heads chopped off because, you know, everyone was doing everything inside of the business. And my job became, you know, pretty much I had, I was running an uh, adult daycare. I was literally yeah. running around teaching everybody what to do, you know, trying to get everyone to be a coach, everyone to be a salesperson, everyone to do everything. But, you know, as soon as we got that sort of consistency, things improved. Um, I think that also, um, you know, at that stage, our ads are begin to fatigue, to fatigue. And I wasn't brilliant at ads at that point in time. But I think the big turning point was I started hiring people to help us with ads again. Um, and, you know, none of the ads people, none of the ads managers ever sticked for us. But what I would do is I would copy what they're doing and then I would go out and test because what I found was a lot of these ad agencies, they wouldn't do the testing that was needed. And then I'd go in and I'd try like 20 different variations of what they were doing and I'd find a winner and then I'd have success. The ads would work again. So I want to really just slow down here because you're just going to talk over everyone that listens to this podcast. So 20 different variations of testing. So that would mean that you would set up a campaign, our 20-week hyperthyroid challenge, and you would test 20 images, find the winning image, test 20 copies, find the winning copy, test 20 headlines, find the winning headline, and then you have the absolute fucking winner. And you found the ad agencies wouldn't go through that, that, that amount of rigorous testing? Yeah, that's, that's, that's 100% right. I think that you often get an ads manager who you know, is just trying to find, turn on one ad and that's the skill level. But when you actually take control and you work with someone professional or you do it yourself, you have the ability to do, you know, thousands upon thousands of combinations. And that, you know, if someone just does one ad compared to, you know, trying a thousand different ads, of course, the thousand different ads are going to work, but people just don't commit to that. And it's like the typical story of someone trying Facebook ads. They turn on the ad, the ad account, they try one ad, oh, Facebook doesn't work. No, Facebook does work. You just haven't tried enough things to find out what does work. And for someone who hasn't tried ads before and wants to start running ads for their gym or their online program, what is your piece of advice? Is it to to get a mentor? Is it to to like, like I guess that's a really great question. Where would you start if you've never done it before? What, what would your advice be? Yeah, my, my advice is to hire someone. Um, and you probably need some sort of consulting as well. Um, and see and watch what they're doing. Log into the ad account, see what it is, and you can start to learn because you need, like, what you need is you need the first 5% of knowledge. That first 5% of knowledge to learn a new skill is extremely, extremely hard to acquire. But once you get more knowledge and more knowledge again, all of a sudden, you, um, you know, you can build up really fast. So once you know that first 5%, you can then build and grow on top of what you've already learned. That's how I learned to run ads. I had someone run my ads. I literally went to Ads Manager. Why'd you press that button? Oh, this reason. Why'd you press that button? This reason. 
And then I had it side by side on screens and I literally built the same campaign they built, pressing the same buttons. And I just repeated that process to now where I think I'm fairly, fairly competent in Ads Manager. Yeah, exactly. It's funny. We share the same story. Yeah, that's how I learned. So, mate, we had dinner the other night. You went through a period of your life where you were mentoring other online coaches. I helped you owners now. And we had a long discussion about spending money on ads, the entrepreneurial mindset, the mindset to send, spend money on ads. And there's two things. If the ads aren't working, obviously don't spend the money, but we could argue that that's testing data. You're finding out what doesn't work. But even on the flip side, which is more frustrating is even when the ads were working and the numbers made sense, they still didn't want to spend more money on ads. What do you think that is? Like, what is that a lack of understanding about business or is it like a, a belief around money? Because it's something that I struggle with every single day. When I talk to Jim owners, like, hey, everything's working. Let's fucking double it. Yeah. I mean, I think that was probably one of the most common conversations that I had with people. And I think that it comes from a lot of, a lot of knowing that just comes from repetition. You know, like, I think that when I was able to spend a lot of money, it came from just dreaming really, really big. Like my goals were so big. It's just like at that time, I was like, I want to make a million dollars a year. And to make a million dollars a year, I'm not going to do that playing safe where I'm at. So I kind of had that realization and it just became, it came very, very naturally to me to be like, oh, if I want to play that game, I have to spend this much money. And, you know, I, you know, for me, I'm a mathematical guy. So then I'd reverse engineer it and just figure out to make a million dollars, I need to make this many sales. I need this many leads. I need this many bookings. I need to spend this much money on ads. And then I just follow that formula knowing that I had to get up to that point. And when you started out running ads for hyperthyroid, like what was your ad budget for the first week? We started on 300 bucks. Even that's a lot in 2017 for most people, mate. Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> and no. then... You know, yeah, I, I, and then, yeah. yeah, and then when you started to ramp the budget, what was your decision to ramp the budget? Was it like that the funnel made sense, the numbers made sense, or was it like fuck it, I'm going for it? Like, how did you make that decision? I, I it, it, the the numbers just made sense. Like, you know, it's all like for me. Like, if you were to look at my Google spreadsheets, they're absolutely fucking intense. I know everything about everything, how things are working. And, you know, at that time I just had one critical number was that I spent $300 and from that $300 in the first week I made 7200 And I was like, oh, if I spend $600, am I going to make $15,000? And, you know, that's what I did. Week two, the second challenge we ever ran, I spent, we spent six hundred dollars and we made fifteen grand. And I was like, oh, this is fun. <laughs> you know, and you know, when you break that down, you know, you go and make it sound make it really simple. But if you go into the casino and you bet a hundred dollars and you get back five hundred dollars, you're gonna keep on doing that. And when 100%. you've experienced enough repetition of that happening over time, you know, it becomes re you become really, really confident at doing that. And sometimes it doesn't work. But I think that, you know, a large part of this is also understanding gambling that sometimes that you lose. And it's okay to lose as long as you win more than you lose. I had someone DM me the other day, 
can you run my ads for me? Can you give me a guarantee? I said, no, nah, never give guarantees. Ads are weird <laughs> because sometimes you do lose. You just do. Like your offer doesn't work. Your niche doesn't work. Your The name of your program doesn't work. That's Business okay. <laughs> Business doesn't work. But like if you keep persisting, you keep trying, and you have that mindset, that entrepreneurial spirit, you will find a winner. Exactly. So you had a hyperthyroid. That was an absolute winner. And then you transition to other niches, and then you now have the 4% Club Australia. So how did you go from multi-million dollar hyperthyroid to 4% Club Australia? And just give some audience perspective, like how many staff do you have? What is the size of your team today? We've got about 70 staff. Um, the big change happened when you know the thyroid market really started to wear thin. We just weren't getting the same return. And also one of the things about working with women with hypothyroidism is they're probably pre-qualified to not work because they have a disease. So we just found that the amount of money that they were willing to spend was less than say, you know, a typical woman over 50, which is our general niche. And we called ourselves the fourth percent club is because 96% of people who lose weight regain it within two years. So we just figured 4% club, we teach people the habits on the 4%. And um, for us, that, you know, that transition was very natural and it was based around financial incentive um, because there was just a greater opportunity. You mentioned before you've got big goals. What are your goals? I have a I have, I have a goal, and the goal is to have sixteen million dollars in my bank account. And uh, that number, you know, has a very big reason for myself. Um, and I'm very, you know, for me, it's kind of like a chip on my shoulder. Um, pretty much. You know, I had some fun with crypto. I made a lot of money. I lost a lot of money. And that's the number that would put me at the highest net worth that I've been in my life. So that's, that's your North Star at the moment, 16 million. 16 million. And then you just need to reverse engineer that. <laughs> number of staff, <laughs> number of sales, number of bookings, number of leads. That's a shitload of leads. I mean, it's a very hard number to work out because you've got, um, you know, it's kind of 32 million because you have to pay half tax. Um, and then... You know, from there, it's, you know, I haven't actually, you know, to be honest, I haven't actually worked out exactly what that looks like. I've kind of broken that down as, you know, for me, like, I really think that our business, you know, our business definitely, you know, has struggled over um, recent years, or particularly last year, 2023 was a tougher year for us. But for me, I want to get the business back to the point where we're, you know, profiting $2 million easy. So that's really important, right? Because... You, you grew this business, you've got 70 staff, you've won the marketing awards, the, the 2X Comma Club Award, 25 US million dollars, 33 million Australian, and even you, you struggled last year. And I think that's such a powerful story that no matter how good you are, no matter how big your business is, no matter how much you think you've got it figured out, you are going to go through hard times. And that's, that's business. I mean, like, you know, We've, been, we've achieved something pretty amazing. You know, we've got a business that's in revenue terms is pulling over $10 million a year. Um, in saying that, yeah, businesses do go through tough times and we've got extreme, extreme leverage in that business in that there's so much money coming through. It's just that at the moment, you know, it needs to become more profitable. And the thing, the thing about it is, you know, we've got a platform to get massively, massively bigger, to cut expenses, Etc. Etc. And you know, 
there is nothing wrong with losing money as long as there's a plan and that you're going to be making bigger money in the future. So, I mean, that's how investing works. And you look at some of the biggest companies in the world, like, you know, Uber, I'm pretty sure that they've never actually been profitable. So the ability to play the long game and the ability to have that belief in yourself, your team that you can turn them around. And I got bad news for you, mate. You got to earn 64 million because you got to give half to age AP. <laughs> That's, that, that's exactly right, 32, 64 mil. But, yeah. you know, like the thing about the 4% Club is it's not our um, first business and it's certainly not going to be the last business. And I don't see that that business is going to, it doesn't have the potential to do those sort of numbers. And we're not looking at getting it to do that, but rather it's the stepping stone for us to move to the next business. And a lot of that money is also going to come from investing as well. And what is the next business? Well, what we're effectively looking at doing is, you know, my skill set is marketing. You've got AP whose skill set is sales. You know, what we're really building out at the moment is a mass media company because I think that, you know, in terms of what we can offer to other businesses, it's about having that triple threat. So we want to go into another business, acquire equity and use our media, sales, marketing, advertising and turn that business into anything that we want to make it. And it's about finding someone who's got the right idea, has the potential. And, you know, even then, it's just like once we once we find those opportunities, it's then like where is the opportunity that can make us, you know, that $64 million that we're talking about. So you'd look, you go into a business, you'd effectively break down their entire acquisition funnel, maybe their entire back end. And with your experience, AP's experience, you could say, okay, I can definitely improve that number. I can improve that number. They need to increase their prices. They should have contracts. We can be more efficient here. And then you will take equity in that company and just plug in your expertise and potentially double it, triple it, quadruple it. Yeah, that's right. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be equity. You know, um, it could just be that we find someone who's got a right idea and start a business from scratch. You know, at the moment, um, you know, I know you um, had your podcast with Brooke. We both know very well. And one of our business well, you know, one new business that we're opening at the moment is called She Sells. So we're teaching um, females um, how to become uh, remote closers. Okay. And I guess like we both know Brooke, world's nicest girl. So for you to have equity or start a business from scratch, what type of attributes would you be looking for in a partner? Because my business partner, my best friend from high school since 2006, I know AP very well. How important is that partnership how important is that trust factor i mean you know in many ways it's very similar to you know who you pick as your romantic partner you know you're in bed with that person virtually you know until that business ends potentially forever so it's about having someone that you trust completely um, it's about having someone that you can have a critical conversation with and be you know express your concerns without having too much emotion involved so you know, whenever you, you know, on top of that, whenever you pick a partner, you don't want someone with the exact same skill set. So I know like you and Mitch are, you know, quite polar opposites in many ways, AP and I are. You know, I want to do marketing, he wants to do sales. Um, when it comes to, you know, working with Brooke, what she offers is she offers a huge organic presence and she's a, you know, she's a bubbly, bubbly um, person, full of excitement. You know, people are just drawn to her, extremely charismatic. So for us, it's like, that makes it our job really, really easy. And she's fucking good at sales, of course. Yeah. It's going to help a whole bunch of women, you know, do that. And we just saw that there's such an opportunity 
to actually grow that business because there's a gap. There's no one who is currently doing that as far as we know. And that's your also a skill set, right, to identify that next niche, that next offer. So you, you come across Brooke, Charismatic, Bubbly. You put your marketing spend, your marketing knowledge behind her. AP builds out the systems, the operations, and that could potentially be that next thing that would get you to that 64, $4 million number. Exactly, exactly. And even that business, you know, probably still has a cap, but it's something that we view as it will be an extremely, extremely profitable model um, because there's going to be less moving parts to it. I did the other night, we spoke about poker quite a lot. So I don't really share this with many people, but I play. I used to play poker a lot. I'm talking four nights a week. I used to play APL, Australian Poker League. I'd go to the star. I'd play cash games. I actually came second at a couple of state tournaments and won some decent money. One of my best friends, who's actually a trainer at Breakthrough Active, he was my poker buddy, right? So the next 10 minutes is for you, Stevie, if you're watching. Talk to me about your, your poker journey because like, it's similar to marketing and sales. It's almost frowned upon. Ah, oh, he's a marketer. He's a salesperson. Ah, oh, gambling's bad. But I think poker is one of the best things to learn before going into business because you uncover ROI, pot odds. Is it worth the risk? So talk to me about your poker journey and how that has helped you in business. I started playing poker um, when I was 17, 2003 in school. And we all used to play for our lunch money. And I used to take everybody's lunch money. Everywhere. <laughs> and that's Texas Hold'em? Yeah, Texas Hold'em. It just started coming out at that time. It was just, you know, on TV, they had like the WPT tour. That was kind of the big thing. And, you know, at that sort of time, I just figured that the hole in the game was people were so nervous about their money that I just used to bet really big and everyone would fold. Um, <laughs> so you're a schoolyard bully. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. And because people didn't really understand the game at that point in time. And I, um, you know, then it came to 2004. And I'm like, okay, well, what am I? What am I going to do? I'm at uni. I need a job, and all my friends were working at Woolworths and Coles, and McDonald's, and you name it. And I was like, all right, well, I can make money doing this, and I can make a shit ton more than they are. Um, you know, working a job that I didn't want to do. Did you keep poker a secret? No, not at all. I was so proud of the fact that I was playing poker. You know, uh, <laughs> everyone, at that time, everyone thought it was awesome. And were you playing online or in the casinos? A bit of both, but mostly online. Um, I just found like, you know, for me, it was just very much, I was able to play multiple tables at the same time. And, you know, therefore I could take more people's money. And at that top point in time, the game was really soft. Like people just weren't good at that point in time. Like you could literally, you know, go all in with aces and then someone would call you with like, you know, king queen, and then you just take all the money. I hope this isn't going over people's heads, but the idea would be when poker first came out in 2003, Texas Hold'em, it was almost like Facebook ads. No one knew what they were doing. And if you had a few key pieces of information, understand pot odds, understand your likelihood of winning the hand, understand how much you should bet in regards to what you're going to return on that pot, you'd make a lot of money. And in poker, one of the biggest things I used to do, mate, I was a bit of a bully too. So I would, it was known that if you were in a hand with me, you were not going to get checked down. I was going to bet you to the end. I was always going to continue and people would just fold. I think poker is absolutely incredible. You know, you mentioned before that it sets you up for business. And I truly, you know, I truly believe that. And that one of the big, you know, impactful parts of my life is there's a book called The Poker MBA 
And what it does is it teaches poker players how to run businesses. And, you know, I read that book very early and every single thing, like with poker, you're running your own business and you're able to assess risk, which is one of the reasons why, you know, I've never been scared to spend lots of money on ads because I always know what the odds are, chances of loss, and I can assess that stuff very, very quickly. And with the poker MBA, what is the biggest thing you've taken from that into the 4% Club Australia? I mean, it, it all has to come down to managing ads. It comes down to knowing your numbers. And if there was one skill that you could give to a business owner more so than anything else, it is just knowing what your numbers are, tracking everything, because you use those numbers to make decisions. And if you don't have those, you're just guessing. And then you don't have the confidence to spend that extra money on ads. You don't have the confidence to know that you can hire someone and afford to. So, you know, that, that would be the biggest takeaway from everything that I've said to what said today is to track it. Just understand your numbers, understand your cost per lead, your cost per booking, your cost per sale, your cost per acquisition, your lifetime customer value. And if those numbers make sense and you meet once a week with your business partner, that data will help you make the decision. The other day it happened recently. Mitch said, oh, everyone's really busy this week, all the VAs. And I went, are they? I'm not really sure. And then I went through their calendars and I built this beautiful Google spreadsheet and I tracked it and we found out that some were very busy and some weren't busy. And I hate the word feelings. I feel as though everyone's busy. I feel as though the ads are working well this week. I feel as though the bookings are bad. Well, like you would know this going back and forth with salespeople. They'd come to you saying, hey, AG, this sucks. And you're like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> I, I've got a good story to illustrate this actually. So um, I have this VA and we set up this new division in the business and what we decided to do, we have everyone's like details. So we have someone's phone number, we have their goals, what they're struggling with. And we'd send out all these automated texts to everyone. And we kind of realized these automated texts, people just block us, they tell us to go away and they just weren't working. So we decided to actually create individual like manual messages, putting them through chat GPT and sending them out to individuals. So for example, we would be like, Hey, I know, hey, Jen, Jenny, I know you wanted to lose 50 kilos and you've been struggling with emotional eating. I just wanted to check and see how you're going. And then we'd start a conversation with them based off that. But because it was personal, we were getting a huge response rate. Now, I didn't realize how well this division of the business was actually going. Now, at first I was like, oh, you know, we were only making like, you know, five bookings a week. And I didn't really see, I think we made one sale here and there. But then I had to pay out commissions to my VA um, and I missed a commissions um, in November because I just, I don't know why it wasn't paid. For whatever reason, it wasn't paid. And then in December, we had another one. And then I paid it. And I'm like, holy shit, I've got to pay him 70 bucks, 10 bucks a sale. So he'd made 10 sales, average sale price of, what, 3,000 bucks. And he's gone out and he's made us 21 grand. And he's a VA that we pay $1,000 a month, 21 grand. He's done 10 to 1. And... You know, I didn't even know the numbers because I hadn't paid his commissions and I hadn't seen it. But sometimes you feel that something's not working and I canned it. Like in January, we haven't even done it. But when I actually look back, I'm like, shit, that's the most profitable division in our entire business. Yeah, it's amazing. Just like how like you can have the world's best day as a salesperson. Your last call of the day is a terrible call. It's a bad fit as a sales fail. Ah, oh, all the leads are terrible. Change everything, change the funnel, change the brand, change everything at once. Mm. So I guess what I want to end on, AG, is 
for a business to get to your size doing over 10 million a year in revenue, you need to spend money on ads. And it's a very simple thing. If you sell a $3,000 program, you need to sell 33 programs a week to hit 100K a week. You may need to spend 3,000 on ads, right? So I guess just when we had dinner the other night, thanks for paying, by the way. I appreciate it. The steak was beautiful. Okay. Like we're at dinner and you would have spent a couple of thousand on ads. Mm-hmm. That is remarkable for some people to even think about. So is it exposure therapy? Is it that you just know what you're going to get back? Like, how do you do that? What did it take you to get to that point where we're on this podcast now for an hour, you're going to spend X amount on ads? It is is just knowing what the return is. It's simple that, you know, we're in a different position now uh, as well with business. We have the opposite effect. So if I don't spend 50 grand on ads a week, because we've got so many fixed overheads, we have 70 staff that we've got to pay for the business loses money. So I have to spend that money, right? <laughs> that's such a weird, it's, that's, that's bizarre. If our, if our sales team doesn't bring in $150,000 worth of cash per week, like cash sales, we lose money. So, you know, it's almost just like I am forced to spend more and I've got to keep on spending and I've got to keep on spending. So it comes out of necessity. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, we're going to wrap up one more question. I finish every podcast, same question. What's one question I should have asked you that I didn't ask you? Hmm. That's, really, that's a really good question. I suppose um, scaling, diminishing returns. I, you know, I know this will help a lot of people, but a lot of people are really scared that know when they spend more and more money on ads that you know facebook's going to punish them and you know it's going to be more expensive now i just want to illustrate a point um if you're spending 30 dollars a day and you're scared of going to 60 dollars a day because facebook's going to give you a diminishing return you're not on you're not on the right planet it's you know like we are spending in excess of fifty thousand dollars every week on similar campaigns so, you know, you should never, ever be fearful of jumping from $60 to $120. Keep in mind that there's someone out there spending as much as we are. And yes, we do have a diminishing return, but it's not as bad as what you could possibly think that it is. 100%. Well, mate, I really want to thank you for coming on today. I really appreciate your knowledge, your wisdom. You've been a great friend, great mentor to me. I said it the other night, I mean it. I've done for you everything would not be possible without working for the 4% Club. I got marketing off you. I got systems off Iggy, GHO Master, and I got sales off AP. So forever grateful for what you guys taught me. And, um, you know, I'm just really grateful for you. You've made me a fuck ton of money selling for me. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, can, can we just confirm this, that I was the number two ROI salesperson in the 4% Club last year? Can we just confirm that live? I um I believe that to be true. Yeah, it was true. Right. So I I can actually sell. I don't I don't spend my days in the sales numbers, but you know every uh every conversation I've had with AP, like I believe you're always number two. Well, thanks, mate. Just behind Brooke, I'm yeah. coming for her. Yeah, and and then we'll start he sells. He sells. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much. See you later, Jeff. Bye. Cool.